Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Spin Class. We're talking politics. I'm Michael Fragan here on the Nachum Siegel Network, NachumSiegel.com, JM in the AM.org. And thank you for joining us here on a Thursday afternoon slash evening. And we are broadcasting live from the Lower East Side of Manhattan. David here in the control booth. Shoshi, our new uh, intern, for one week before she goes away uh, to L.A. Uh, she was here once. She, now she's back. Uh, you want to say hi to everybody? Hi, Okay. And uh, she's going to L.A., but hopefully she'll be joining us uh, on and off over uh, over the coming, uh, over coming shows. And uh, we are once again proud to be sponsored by Season Supermarkets. Uh, Seasons located in Kew Garden Hills, 68-18 Main Street, 1066 Wilmot Road in Scarsdale, New York. And on the Upper West Side, 661 Amsterdam Avenue, are all open to serve you. So, the, And the new Lawrence Superstore, and you can see it uh, if you drive down Central Avenue uh, pretty much every day. It's under renovation, but they are making deliveries. Call on your order at 516-295-3300. That's 516-295-3300. Or email it to lawrenceorders at seasonsny.com. So we got a jam-packed show coming up. And uh, first, I want to apologize to everybody for being away last week. We did have a guest host, and I want to offer a great congrats out there. Good shout-out to Jacob Kornbluh, who ably hosted the show last week uh, for everybody and had definitely some interesting guests on. One of those guests was actually me. So you might actually ask, if I was able to be on the show as a guest, why couldn't I be here to host the show? And uh, that's an excellent question. Uh, I'm not sure what the exact answer is, but I'll, I'm going to give it a try. You know, ask myself a question. Maybe Shoshi should ask me the question, but we'll, we'll, we'll save it. I'll ask myself a question and then go ahead and try and answer. So pretty much uh, what had happened, we were gearing up for elections in Lawrence. And, you know, it's a village and it's small and there aren't that many people. But it was, you know, it was an election. And uh, we also had a meeting of the board that night. And... I actually, the meeting was originally called for 7.15. This show ends at 7. So as fast as I drive and as inappropriately sometimes I drive, I wasn't going to make it here from 7 to 7.15. It's just uh, just pretty impossible. So uh, I decided that I was going to, in the interests of the public and serving the public, I was going to go ahead and let Jacob have a turn at the mic. And he, he filled the chair pretty well, uh, I've heard. Uh, I was listening to the show. Uh, it turns out the meeting didn't start till late. Hmm. Interesting. It's amazing how that happens. Well, anyway, enough about me. We'll talk about me a little bit more later. Uh, I want to jump in and talk about talk to our first guest because uh, what you might not know is that the end of June is not just about the end of school and kids starting camp and the beginning of summer. The end of June also marks the end of the legislative session in Albany. And Albany is our state capital here in New York. And I know a couple weeks ago we focused entirely on New Jersey, but tonight we're going to focus a little bit on Albany and, uh, and as we do from time to time, talk to one of the experts, somebody who knows Albany well. And we have uh, on the line with us uh, former Assemblyman Ryan Carbon, now from the law offices of Ryan Carbon, as well as a, a power broker up in Rockland County in the lower Hudson Valley. Somebody who, who knows the ins and outs of the political process. 
And uh, as well as he writes a blog called Carbon Copy, very interesting commenta- commentary. And he's gonna, you know, give us uh, give us some scoop and uh, spin as we like to do here. So uh, welcome, uh, uh, former Assemblyman Carbon, once again to Spin Class. It's good to be here, and congratulations, Michael, on your extraordinary election victory uh, there in Lawrence. Uh, it's a small but high-maintenance constituency. We all know that. High-maintenance, uh, yes. Well, the fact, look, the I fact, can't... The fact that they have chosen you to attend to their needs um, speaks well of them, and it speaks well of you. You know, that's interesting uh, when you say that, because I think you also represented what we call a high-maintenance, and I'm, I don't mean this as any type of pejorative uh, slur at the people in the district. I think you're giving a you're giving a kind of a euphemistic, funny term that a lot of politicians talk about when they talk about the Orthodox Jewish community. Well, it, it's really not just the Orthodox the Orthodox community. You know, you have a very engaged, informed electorate there. You know, you, you have some places in the state where you have very low voter turnout, where you have a lot of apathy, where you know folks get elected to the assembly or the senate with 95 percent of the vote, and only 3,000 people are voting. And, you know, Lawrence, uh, a lot of other suburban communities aren't like that. And there's a lot more accountability, particularly at that village level. I mean, you know, that's who people know. That's who people see. And when there's a problem, that's who people find. So, you know, it's a demanding constituency. And when you throw in, you know, uh, the uh, assassination of the Orthodox Jewish subculture, you know, that, that, that always makes for a lively politics. No question about it. Lively politics, and you know, some of it we we get to on the show. I, I don't always talk about the ins and outs of what we uh, talk about in in Lawrence because it's a small place, and I I'm sure there are listeners out there, you know, whether wherever they're sitting, whether it's nationally, internationally, or you know, even in Brooklyn, who might not care that much, or maybe even uh, up in uh, Muncie, so they might not care that much. But I think to talk in generalities. Uh, you know, local politics is very, very local, and it's very, very interesting. Um, and certainly local elections, when they're contested, can also be interesting. And I, we definitely had an interesting one over the last couple of weeks. And, uh, you know, uh, thank God I was able to emerge victorious, and I think it was a pretty decisive win. Uh, actually, out of, uh, you know, and again, I'll talk about myself a little bit more later, but uh, I'll say that again, and uh, everybody's laughing here in the studio. Well, don't, uh, don't, spin, don't spin me, Michael. I'm not spinning you at all. 1,123 okay. people showed I know this up to is a vote. Thin class, but... 1,123 people showed up to vote, and I got 758 of the votes. So uh, that's not bad. No, it's not bad. Okay, it's good. Bad. I think you would have been happy when you ran for election and, and, to, but, get, to get two no, thirds of the vote. It's, it's, a great, it's a great win, and, uh, you know, those, obviously we know the people who didn't vote for you were your relatives. Uh, so, yes, um, my, immediate, my immediate family in particular. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> so let's talk. Let, let's move up the uh, up the Hudson a little bit. Uh, the legislative session is is coming to an end in Albany, and uh, l- l- why don't you give us the report card? You know, from your perspective, okay? Who 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 did well? Who didn't do so well? Who got a failing grade? You know, give, give us give us some perspective. You know, as always, it comes down to the three men in the room, but this year it's four men in a room, right? You know, so, I'm I'm a relatively easy grader. You know, having served there That's in true. the assembly, and maybe and I should get somebody the, else on uh, the, the show here. You know, the swirling forces around there—it's uh, a difficult place to get things done, even when everything's going well. So, you know, I'm—I'm I'm, I'm a generous grader, and I think if you basically look at Albany as a place where people, uh, you know, where the measure often of success is whether you're able to, you know, preserve your power year in and year out. You know, all these—all these folks appear to be winners to me. You know, the governor's still—still still governor. 
still able to command the public stage. You know, we'll get into some of the, the issue challenges and some of the political challenges there, but, you know, that administration is still very much alive and intact. Uh, the Speaker is still the Speaker, despite having a very turbulent session. Speaker is still the Speaker. Skelos and Klein are still, you know, they're still dating. You know, if not uh, happily married, they're definitely still an item. Uh, and we'll get into some of the substance on, on, on the abortion stuff, I guess, also. But, you know, I, I, I don't think that politically anybody is ending this session, you know, really damaged. You know, the Senate Democrats are definitely better off now than they were when they started the session. Uh, and I think a lot of it has to do with Andrea Stewart Cousins being a uh, excellent leader of the Senate Democrats. Um, so they're definitely in a better position than, than they were. And, uh, you know, the Assembly Republicans, uh, I think even given all the storms surrounding the Speaker, the fact that they weren't really able to successfully capitalize on that politically or didn't really want to, um, you know, I think their, their voice is a little bit... Uh, is a little bit softer and will primarily be known for, you know, uh, Steve Katz's arrest for having a little bit of uh, pot after voting against medical marijuana. That's what interesting happened there. So, you know, I, I think that politically everybody's everybody's in, in decent shape. Governors always take a battering during the legislative session, and, you know, Cuomo has some, some work to do to get his numbers back up over the next few months. But, but, but what's gotten done? What's gotten done, if anything? I mean, what what the big... The big ticket, the big picture items right now uh, seem to be in jeopardy. Campaign finance reform and the women's uh, health, whatever they're calling it, the Health Act, the reform of the scaffolding law, camp, um, hydrofracking, this tax-free New York uh, initiative. What is getting done and what's not getting done? Well, I think you need to separate those things out. All right. So in terms of the campaign finance reform, anti-corruption stuff, that's the most difficult legislation to pass. Um, legislators voting on their own interests, uh, balance of power issues, um, and really a lot of concern with speed. You know, obviously you have a lot of, uh, you know, really negative stuff going on there in Albany that needs to be dealt with. Um, if you ask me, is that something which, you know, you can go cobble a, a bill together to deal with something as complicated as under what circumstances one public official is deemed to have knowledge of somebody else doing something wrong? You know, there are consequences to those bills, too, and a lot of legislators were reluctant on that. I think politically that's probably where Cuomo takes the biggest hit uh, with the uh, editorial boards around the state um, for not getting an anti-corruption measure through. Um, but I think he's going to deflect that criticism probably effectively by saying, you know, the legislature just wasn't willing to do anything bold. Um, and you really haven't heard this being a topic a lot of legislators want to talk about. So, you know, the, the casinos are getting done. That's a big deal, getting that referendum on the ballot. That's going to be a potentially transformative um, event for the upstate economy, uh, certainly transformative in terms of the way policy is made in the state. So, you know, casinos are coming together. Hydrofracking, I don't know really what there is to happen. The opponents have won that debate with the public. Those numbers are not moving in favor of those who are proponents of fracking and as I, I think we may have discussed this the last time we were together, you know, the proponents um, of the fracking are going to need to make their case to the public before anything happens. I don't see the governor being to stick his neck out for that, and I don't think it's reasonable to say this thing is so important and so vital that you should um, ignore, you know, the public opinion, which is clearly a running with the fracking opponents. So I, I don't really buy that as something that needed to get done. What about uh, the, the upstate economy, though? Get done. What about the upstate economy, the southern tier? Aren't they all dependent on this uh, p 
potential uh, infusion of investment capital? Absolutely not. You know, that is just, you know, to to run around and say the only way you can save upstate is by drilling beneath it and extracting gas. We're totally out of other ideas about how to create jobs in upstate New York. You know, that's pathetic. Say that all you can have there is a total natural resource-based economy. That's what you say about economies in, in Africa. So, you know, I don't buy that notion that somehow this is going to go come in on some kind of economic white night and save upstate New York. And the bottom line is the people in upstate New York, look at the public opinion polls, they don't want it. So how do you come and say, well, you need to do this, Governor, for upstate. You need to take your political capital and go and push like hell for something that, you know, is polling with, you know, the high 50s of opposition. But they want casinos instead. People would rather have casinos than than uh, using their natural resources. Well, we're going to have a referendum on that. But I would point out that those municipalities that have uh, generally expressed opinions about fracking, even bunches of them upstate have said, no, don't, you know, as they say, get the frack out of here. I mean, they're not interested. So, you know, I, I think if and I'm not making a judgment about the science. I'm not a scientist. I'm just talking about the politics. But if fracking is going to happen, that the, the proponents of it in that industry are going to persuade the people of New York. To, to ask the governor to persuade the people of New York to change their minds about fracking, now, that's not, I, I don't really see that as being something which would appropriately be on his priority list. Okay, so let me ask you with regard to something like the scaffolding law, and let me just explain it to people out there. So in New York, I think it's pretty unique among states. We have something called the scaffolding law, which basically means that any contractor has absolute liability if anybody gets injured on their job site. doesn't matter if the person was at fault. It doesn't matter. Not on, on their job site. Where scaffolding is involved. Where scaffolding? Well, wow. 48 of the labor, of the uh, labor law. Okay, so where, where scaffolding? You could ex- you probably explain it better than me, but uh, it's basically that uh, that if there's scaffolding there, you're you're totally liable, and they, the worker could totally ignore any safety regulations. And uh, this has kind of been a huge issue for contractors out there, and for builders, developers, and the like. But it kind of points, I think, and you know, as a general thing, not to get too minute about it, it kind of point, points to a litigious or a tort friendly culture that we have here in New York, which makes it very expensive to do business. And business groups say this is really an anachronism type of law. It shouldn't exist anymore. And uh, and it needs reform. It looked like it might actually happen this year, but it's not going to. So tell us why. And, you know, is it wasn't Cuomo pushing for this at one point, you know, this type of common sense reform. And uh, and you would have thought that you know, the, the assembly was a little bit weakened by scandals, and somehow it still didn't happen. It still didn't happen. It didn't happen last year, and it didn't happen 10 years ago or 20 years ago when they were really talking about this law either. And every, you know, year there's a flurry of activity in Albany up on this uh, obscure labor law section. And it's a special interest battle between trial lawyers and uh, you know, folks who work on those job sites. And... Um, uh, folks in the uh, business uh, community who want that reformed. And, you know, once a law is on the books, it tends to stay on the books. So to repeal a law, um, which figures so prominently in a, uh area which is occupied by a politically mobilized constituency, uh, namely the construction industry um, and uh, the trial lawyers, 
um, you know, that's always a recipe for political paralysis. And I don't think there's any reason why this would be any different. And you know what, Michael, if you were to go take a poll on talking about the scaffolding law, you wouldn't even get 1%. So, you know, every interest group has its list every year. Uh, would it be nice if business and labor uh, could find a way to compromise on that particular law so that uh, legislators don't have to go back to some powerful interests on either side and say, yeah, we couldn't come up with it again? Yeah, that would be terrific. But I, I don't see the legislature brokering a deal when, when the folks in the industry remain at loggerheads with each other. If there's a compromise and people give and take, you know, that, then I think that becomes possible. But, yeah, okay, well, I, I know, guess New, my, Yorker, I New guess... Yorkers have never really bought in huge numbers the tort reform argument, um, never really registered significantly in polls. Uh, Pataki pushed some tort reform stuff, as you know, Michael, from you were in the administration there. Um, but, you know, unless you're going to have a, a governor really put some weight behind the tort reform agenda, and that's really not philosophically where Andrew Cuomo is, you know, in a state like New York, I don't, I don't really see that. Uh, this is a labor-friendly state. It's always been a plaintiff-friendly state. And I don't see anything happening in the governmental dynamics that would cause that to change significantly. The Independent Democratic Conference has a very good relationship with the trial bar. Um, and you know what? Even the Republicans in the Senate, some of them are trial lawyers themselves, Senator DeFrancesco, et cetera. So you know, the, the state legislature is going to remain friendly to the trial bar. I don't see anything changing that. But is this not indicative of the inability of Albany to come to to modernize itself and to, to get out of the cellar as far as being a business-unfriendly climate? Absolutely not. Not not any more than any single uh, regulation, uh, which a lot of people don't like, is emblematic of Albany's ability to do something. Albany is emblematic of where in our society – um, people from different backgrounds in different parts of the state and different philosophies can come together and hammer out compromises that reflect some kind of consensus uh, or don't. But I don't think it's a failure of Albany that they don't act on some obscure issue that nobody cares about except the people who are either making or losing money. I don't think that's a failure of government at all. Okay, well, I guess not to pick specifically on that. There are other issues uh, you, out there. You got Every, me in a contentious and, mood. I, I can tell. That's fine. But there are other issues out there. The Triborough <laughs> Amendment and the Wix Law and all kinds of different uh, aspects of state government that make the cost of doing business and the cost of government in New York to be extraordinarily expensive. And there was and this, have, and there was this idea of – arbitration. We have fiscal okay. stress tests municipalities. We have a property tax cap. We have incentives for consolidation. So I think there, there, you know, you can always be a, a naysayer. And, you know, I can be as, you know, curmudgeonly as anybody else about what the state government and give you a hundred reasons, you know, uh, to be grumpy about it. And there, and there are many. Um, but I think some good, positive, credible stuff has happened uh, over the course of the past three legislative sessions. Some, some difficult issues have been taken on, but I don't think anybody, uh, including the governor, is you know running around the racetrack saying that all of New York's problems have been solved. I think the governor uses the word productive a lot, and and I think that's the case. Um, and you well, know, everything's going to be productive. That, I that mean... remains to be done over the course, uh, you know, of the next four or five years, and I think that that's being taken seriously. All right, what's and, but what's a uh, what's Ryan? Stop! I'll stop you for a second. What's getting done sure. this week? Okay, we're we're done. Today's the last day, right? Or tomorrow's the okay. last day of session? What's getting done? 
Tell us about what is getting done. Hundreds, hundreds of bills being passed. We are going to have some uh, progress on the governor's women's equality agenda, whether the abortion piece passes or not. You know, we don't know yet, but that's valuable, uh, important legislation. Uh, the casino siding is valuable, important legislation. An agreement was reached to restore $90 million um, that had been cut from the Office of People with Developmental Disabilities, phenomenally important uh, to the special needs population uh, across the state. And varieties of smaller measures uh, sponsored by rank-and-file lawmakers from uh, simplifying legislation. Uh, Assemblyman uh, Ken Zabrowski, who's a my assemblyman, uh, had a bill that allows um, hearings being conducted against small businesses where they have regulatory issues to be conducted by Skype rather than folks having to show up at a hearing office. So, you know, is that going to make history? No, but, you know, it saves a small businessman from having to take a day off to deal with some of the uh, you know, routine regulation that goes involved in that. So are there things that I'd like to see done that didn't get done? Absolutely. I think that you need serious um, municipal government reform, but that is going to take a real collaboration between local government leaders, the state, county leaders, um, to, you know, this is outside the city of New York to do that. You know, you're, you, you, sir, you're a public official in Nassau County, um, you know, which I think under its Republican rule became the nation's leading symbol of duplicative and unnecessary layers of government. Um, and that Nassau County Republican machine was very reluctant to reform itself over those years. Um, so I think, to, you know, for folks to turn around and say that, the governor's not doing his job because um, New York is still a complex government. It is very complicated, and it's difficult to unwind, and it's difficult to reform because social institutions resist change. They're inherently conservative. But I don't know that that's a function of Albany where I'm looking at some state capital and some other state where uh, every problem is being taken on perfectly. We always have to demand more from our government, but I think we need to recognize when it's working um, okay, and there are certain things there that are working out okay, and it's important to recognize them. But you have divided government. You have a strange hybrid coalition running the Senate. Uh, that's a challenge. You know, you have the internal issues that have consumed the Assembly um, with the uh, with the Vito Lopez scandal. So, you know, there, which became, you know, kind of larger than life. All right, so um, let, let's talk for a dominating. second. So it, it's not an easy place to get things done. Some things are getting done. Some things aren't. I don't know that I would say this is uncharacteristically unproductive. Let's talk for a second about the strange working relationship in the Senate. You know, give us a give us an idea about, you know, and we're almost out of time for this segment, so I want to get to kind of a legislative scorecard pretty quickly. Uh, mm -hmm. But, and I know you're an easy grader. You told us that already. So, uh, but the strange working relationship in, in the Senate, as you said, that uh, Senator Klein and Senator Skelos, the co-majority leaders of the Senate, uh, are, seem to be uh, dating, if not are happily married. But give us a real rundown on how that's working and uh, whether there is a future. I think, I guess, the big question for the IDC going forward, you know, whether this works, it has to work for them, for the state, but it's also got to work for them within their own party so that they don't themselves get, uh, you know, get the, you know, taken out at the polls. Well, I don't think there's a single member of the IDC that's vulnerable to a primary challenge. They're among the most popular Democrats in the areas that they serve. Uh, you know, obviously there's a little bit of a, of a not now over this Women's Equality Act and the, and the abortion uh, issue. And my personal belief, Michael, is obviously I feel very strongly that the pro-choice plank in the governor's bill should come to the floor and that it should be voted on. And, you know, if, uh, if I was still uh, spending uh, 
my days pushing that button on my desk there, you know, I would I would vote for it, you know, with uh, you know without any reservation. Um, but when you govern in a coalition, there are compromises. That's part of the nature of being in a coalition. Um, and you know, not every Democrat in the state Senate is pro-choice. Uh, Reverend Diaz from the Bronx is a is a very strong and and passionate uh, anti-abortion leader. Uh, had a primarily based in the Pentecostal ministry. And I really don't think it's incredibly productive um, for a lot of Democrats out there, um, you know, despite all their frustration and our commitment to this cause. You have to be very careful about you know, demonizing the progressive Democrats in the, in the IDC. You know, there are a lot of priorities for the Democratic Party, and we, and we should push hard for a vote on this. But, uh, you know, some of that is, is really crossing the line. These are good progressive Democrats. You know, my Senator, David Carlucci, uh, took on a lot of powerful political forces in Rockland when he was elected to his Senate seat. And so when, when, when I, uh, you know, when, when I read some, uh, some folks in the leadership of the Rockland Democratic Party are going after him, you know, that, 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 that's just wrong. David Carlucci is a great progressive leader. I, I think that the folks in the IDC have, have done a very good job of keeping Albany uh, functional over the course of the past few years. Um, I obviously wish for good government and hope that the Senate Democrats, um, you know, there's some great senators there and, you know, they, they seem to be on firmer footing. And you never know who's going to make what political alliances with whom. And people will criticize that based on what their what their interests are. But do I think that Skelos and Klein can stay together? Yeah, I, I think they can. Um, and if they stop staying together, I don't think it's going to be because that relationship goes sour, um, but because circumstances are such, there's some kind of rapprochement between the IDC and the regular Senate Democratic Conference. And uh, okay. you know, partisan Democrats would obviously like to see that happen sooner rather than later. So, Ryan, I want to get to the, to the letter grades. We'll start with uh, we'll start with Speaker Silver. How would you how would you grade his uh, session? Given what he's had to go through this year, when how do you how do you, you know? I mean, grade his. As a political survivor, I think you have to give him an A plus. Okay, how would you rate the session though? How did, as far as what did he get done for the state of New York? Not whether is he still in power. Everybody's still in power, as you mentioned. What did he get done for the state of New York, or what did he get done for his agenda? Well, you know, I guess that's if you're bifurcating the question, then already I guess we have an answer that he hasn't. Maybe he hasn't gotten that much done for the state of New York. I think All right, you, want, you can pass. You I can pass the his, question. Yeah, pass he the question. defined his job, which is to address the priorities of his conference. He did that. He did that in the budget, preserved a lot of funding streams for health care and education. That's what his members wanted. That's what he did. That's what he delivered. Um, and his uh, the very, very difficult uh, issues that he's had to deal with around the Vito Lopez mess didn't derail him from doing what he needed to do for his members. Okay, so ne- next, uh, Senator Klein. All right. Senator Klein. Um, I think he gets a. Uh, I think he gets a B plus. B plus. Okay. Sandra uh, Skelos. Yeah, Sandra only, only because. Ah. Because you're, you're, there is going to you're giving be, me a political spin answer from the stuff at the end of session, and I think it could be cleaned up fairly quickly, um, and these folks will be all right. But you know, uh, there is a little bit of aggravation that he's had to endure. It's been a stress point in, in his coalition, um, and there's a cost that comes with it. But but nothing nothing particularly harmful. Senator Skelos, I, I would probably give him a uh, a C or a C plus, and I'll tell you why. 
um, the, the gun bill has caused more political heartburn for the Republican Senate than anything they've done in recent memory. Um, and that was a commitment that he made on behalf of his conference, and a lot of them have felt the heat. They felt the heat from the conservative party because of that. So I think that was a that was a setback. He had to sell the business community on a, a minimum wage hike, which I think he would have rather not done. So I think that the liberal, increasingly liberal tilt of the state has made it uh, harder for him to do what he needs to do. His members are a little bit more exposed on the right uh, than they'd like to be. Um, and I, I think it, the post-session is going to see how that plays out within the Senate Republican Congress. Okay, so the letter grade once again for the public? Oh, for the public. No, 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 I'm saying, what was what was Skel- Senator Skelos' letter grade? Oh, for him, I think I think he gets a CC plus. CC you know, plus, okay, and the governor. From the, from the perspective of someone who wants to be represented by a Republican senator. <laughs> I can't evaluate him in a vacuum. Okay, give us the governor now. A minus. A minus. So you are going to grade Speaker Silver higher than Governor Cuomo for this session. In terms of meeting the political challenges that he faced, okay. I don't think anybody in that government had a greater political challenge this year to their ability to get things done than Shelley Silver. Okay, and, and, and that's fascinating. Not I, I agree with the guy on on substance or policy or even or even politics, but you know he went up and you know those daily editorial boards demanding for him to resign, all those headlines. Oh. The guy kept his eye on the prize that requires a focus and discipline you rarely see in this business. You may not like it. And you may not like him, um, but the guy didn't get his eye off the ball. Okay, very good. Uh, former Assemblyman Ryan Carbon from the Carbon Copy blog and other commenta- commentary out there. And people can follow you on Twitter at, at rcarbon. Uh, very good Twitter feed, and uh, I recommend it to everybody. Thank you for once again joining us here on Spin Class. Thanks, Mike. Congratulations again on your election. Okay, thank you very much. And I want to move to Rabbi Chaim Schwartz, who has been on the line waiting uh, for a couple minutes patiently. And uh, Rabbi Chaim Schwartz, uh, not only is he a Red Sox fan, and I say that uh, here, sitting here in New York, uh, safely away from him, you know, that he you know, won't be upset about the fact that I might, might make fun of the Red Sox. But uh, Rabbi Chaim Schwartz is the executive director of the VOD of Queens, also known as the Queens Rabbinical Council. And uh, in that capacity, he deals with a lot of different politicians. But during election season, he is highly in demand for politicians all around the city of New York are looking to come to him and meet with his rabbis. And I thought, you know, given the fact that we're always talking about uh, politics and a grassroots perspective, he could offer a great perspective to us here on Spin Class about, you know, involvement of rabbis in politics as well as uh you know the the certain dynamics, community dynamics within the uh, within the community uh, surrounding politics. Robert Schwartz, welcome to Spin Class. Good evening, Michael. How you doing? Okay, so uh, let's uh, let's talk uh, specifically with regard to the Queen's VOD and uh, the fact that you're you know you're you're there you know, leading uh, or uh, shepherding to a certain degree, a, a group of, you know, sometimes unwieldy group of a lot of rabbis, a lot of different constituents. Yeah, you got to uh, watch those rabbis. you got to watch those rabbis, some of whom are more politically active, some of whom are less politically active, but uh, they're very in demand as far as candidates want to come see them. That's correct. And, uh, again, I just wanted to echo Ryan Carbon. Uh, mazel tov to you on your recent re-election. Thank you. Thank you very much. And uh, Mr. Shem, can continue to do great things for the from community, for the, for the larger community, but for our community as well. Absolutely. Anyway, back to your question. So 
we've uh, we've uh, enjoyed in the last few years a reemergence, so to speak, on the political scene. As we've become a very diverse community, as people well know, we have the Russian Bukharian community, the Ashkenazi community, a large Israeli contingency, and Queens is really a diverse place. And I keep on hearing that from all of our local politicians who've come to speak to us. And uh, we've been in demand, as we are probably the last unified Orthodox, largest local Orthodox rabbinic body in the United States. And uh, we have a pulpit, and we have members. And as uh, Ryan said before, and you said before, they're they're high. What was the word? High, high maintenance. And we're we're trying to get into more and more into the political process. Okay, so tell us a little bit how that works. You know, the candidate calls you up and said, "I want to meet your rabbis, or I want to meet with you, or what?" And you tell them, "Well, like we don't endorse, but of course we want to meet with you. We want to talk with you." What 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 happens? Well, generally, meetings? what happens is that a staff will reach out, or the candidates themselves will reach out to the vod reach out to our office or to any one of the particular rabbinim, and they'll ask us to, if they can meet with us, to talk to us. Uh, we are famous for our general VOD meetings that we have once a month where our membership comes and we sit down and we discuss the, the issues the issues that are relevant to the community. Uh, it stems from anything from uh, political candidates to particular kashrus issues that we have in, in, in Queens or uh, halachic issues that may be arising or fundraising issues that may come for the mikvah or for any other community-based organization that needs our help. And they'll reach out to us, the staffers, and they'll come and they'll talk to our, our rabbanim at the meeting. We did have, now the political season is really heating up, and there's going to be a lot of turnover, as you know. So we've had an inordinate amount of local politicians, you know, the game is changing, the faces are changing, the faces have been the same for basically 12 years, so they reach out to us and, and they really want to get their message to the community. So just, uh, I don't want to open the phones actually to, to people out there, talk about rabbis and politics and, you know, local politics and, mm -hmm. you know, uh, you know, in the Jewish community we have, in the Orthodox community more specifically, you have, you know, the rabbis as kind of a, a layer at the top of the community, and uh, who are you know sometimes actively courted, sometimes not so actively courted, depending on their preference uh, politically. But I'm going to open the phones two one two five two nine four six two zero two one two five two nine four six two zero. People want to ask uh, Rabbi Schwartz questions about rabbis and politics, or me a question about rabbis and politics. But uh, Rabbi Schwartz, when they come to you and they say, okay, you know what? If if the rabbis, the VOD obviously doesn't make endorsements, right? You're not going to go ahead and support anybody. Maybe some individual rabbis might. Do, do they within, within well, your the, the individual rabbis will never, from the pulpit, uh, they, they, won't, they won't go and endorse a particular candidate. And I think it's really been underscored by the local, by the recent, I guess we can call it scandal from the IRS, of targeting or not targeting or whatever you want to call it of the, of the, of the, of the Tea Party groups. And that really show it really is a message to, to all the, the shoals and organizations out there how serious the IRS takes it that they don't want 501c3 status organizations getting into politics. So we really, the Rabbanim, the VAD especially, cannot get involved in endorsement. But what, do, what they do want from the Rabbanim is maybe someone, maybe they could introduce them to Balabatim who are more active, maybe if a Balabas comes over to him after shul or at a bar mitzvah or a wedding or some sort of kiddush at the shul and say, you know, I met uh, Michael Fragan or whoever it is uh, and uh, they're really courting my vote or I get their mailings, does, does the rabbi know anything about him? Has the rabbi spoken to him? What is the rabbi's impression of him? 
And I think that really is valuable to the Balabas when he's trying to sort through, especially in a politically active arena like New York City, that, that really, I think that's a message they really want to get to up on them, that, hey, we're, we're, we're accessible, we're nice guys, we understand your agenda, we understand the needs of the community, and if you can convey that into the Balabatim in one way or the other, that would go a long way. Okay, so we have a call on the line. Uh, Stephen is on the line. He has a question uh, perhaps about rabbis in politics or any other political questions. Stephen, welcome. Yes, hi. Thank yeah, good you afternoon. for my call. Um, what I want to ask the rabbi and, and yourself is, what extent do you think that uh, the Orthodox community has a responsibility to uh, temper their advocacy for their their religious community issues in in the face of a larger community, whether it be religious or or, or not even Jewish, and the, often the acrimony that ensues, take in Rockland County and places like that, where clearly the 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 uh, the strong advocacy for for the rights of one community in in, in, uh, in uh, at the cost of what others believe as cost of themselves creates some uh, some disharmony and so do we have any uh, responsibility to try to manage that uh, in a better way. Michael, you want to take that? Or? I, that's an interesting question. It actually would have been good for our previous guest, but I think that that's, uh, you know, I, I guess there is that question in, in certain areas where how much the Orthodox community has a responsibility for the greater, you know, for the greater community. I mean, Rabbi Schwartz, you, you mentioned, I think, pretty effectively, uh, you know, that the, the Orthodox Jewish community might have some pretty parochial concerns. Yeah, as so you if said. I can answer that, Steve, I, I think it's a great question. And as somebody who actually comes from Rockin County, I can I can just illustrate a little bit in Rockin County and understanding the issues over there. Uh, I, I don't know if you know people that live there or people that are homeowners there, but uh, my parents recently moved out of Muncie, and one of the reasons why they had to move was because the the taxes, the school taxes, real estate taxes were just are just out of control over there. And uh, since I've been a kid in Rockin County, growing up in the in the yeshiva system there, the question from the parents has always been, why are we paying an inordinate amount of money as the yeshiva community grows and the public schools are closing and becoming yeshivas. So, of course, you're right that we have to temper our advances, temper our demands. But on the other hand, we're a community that has, has issues outside of parochial, outside of religious, whether it's special needs or textbooks or computers, wherever it might be. And for many, many years, I know as a kid growing up in Muncie, we weren't getting those services that we were always told that we were entitled to. So I think it's not so much the what we're entitled to, it's much more the methodology of how we get there, our voices that we use, and, and the temperament that we use to get there. I think that that's the issue. Very, very good question uh, uh, on that, Stephen. I, I, appreciate, I appreciate the call. And, uh, he, br- I, he brings up a very valid point. Yeah, I think, I, I, and I guess, you know, but in a way, this is no different than every other interest group out there, right? We shouldn't be ashamed as a community to go ahead and press for our own interests. It's not like the teachers' union doesn't press for their interests. It's not like the, you know, other unions don't press for their interests. It's not like every other, you know, constituent or you know, special interest group out there doesn't look for their interest. And certainly, I think when what comes up, and I actually wanted to get to this question, I was wondering what are the kinds of questions the candidates get when they come to meet with the Queen's VOD? So it's interesting you bring that up. It's it's really changed over the last few years, and it's and it's, it's sad to see that happening. 
You, you know, a, a few years ago, before you know, same-gender marriage was passed in New York, that question always came up, where do you stand? And I remember a couple of years ago when the issue was very hot, we actually hosted Shirley Huntley and uh, Joe Adabo, and we feeded them, and we, we kind of gave them an award thanking them for standing by traditional family values, and, and that's changed. Um, you know, Shirley Huntley's gone in her way, as we know. Uh, Joe switched his vote, and it's gone from family values. You and, mean uh, Joe and Adabo, correct? That's Joe Adabo? Yeah. Is that what I said? Yeah, yeah. No, I was saying Joe, Joe switched his Joe vote. Adabo, Joe Adabo. And it's gone from that, and, and it's really turned to, okay, we lost that battle. That It is what it is. It, it, it was what it was. And now it's more of uh, what can you do? What can you do for us? What can you do for our schools? I'll give you a great example. I think it was Simcha Felder and 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 Mike Samanowitz, our assemblyman, who were very very instrumental in getting us extra busing in the afternoon for the yeshivas, uh, the late the late class as they call it, the five thirty the five thirty bus or the five o'clock bus. It used to be the bus was only till four thirty. So, you know, the, the, it's things like that 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 we we asked them about helping us with vouchers. Of course, we know it's not going to be vouchers in New York State ever. But some sort from our local politicians that the yeshiva issue is an issue, the tuition is overbearing, and the cost of living in New York City is is just out of control for the for the for the average New York City family with large children. Okay, and uh, give us an idea of who you've met so far. Oh, so yesterday we had our VOD meeting, okay. and uh, I, I guess I have a settle to score with you. you. You introduced me as a Red Sox fan, I guess. Uh, now I understand Joe Loda came to talk to us yesterday, and the first thing he said to me was, "Oh, you're the Red Sox fan. Uh, you wouldn't have anything to do with that, would you?" Of course not. I would uh, never. Course. I would uh, never reveal your. I mean, I, I said it here in private. It was right. Yeah, no, it's just us talking, right? Exactly. And Joe Loda came yesterday. I was actually very taken with him. I was very impressed with him. Uh, he's quite eloquent. Uh, eloquent, excuse me. Melinda Katz, who's actually been a friend of our community for many, many years. I live in right, the running state. for Queensborough president. Running for Queensborough Joe president, Loda running for and mayor. her adversary. Who is actually equally impressive, Peter Valone Jr. Right, and, represents uh, uh, Astoria and uh, Astoria, West Council. Queens. Yeah, right. and let's see, the last the last meeting we had, we've had a lot. This, you know, Anthony Weiner has come to us quite often when he was our uh, congressman here in uh, in the what was it, the the ninth? It used to be called the ninth or the sixth? The ninth. The ninth. I lose I lose track. Uh, Anthony's been with us many times. Uh, Mike Samanowitz, of course, is a good, dear friend of... Uh, well, Anthony community. hasn't been there recently, you're saying? Well, he hasn't been there recently, but I expect him to come back. Okay. <laughs> um, of course, we had a relationship. We have a relationship with uh, Nettie, Ma- Nettie Mayerson, and, uh, you know, as Mike, Mike succeeded her, and who was running against... Oh, of course, Bob Turner. Right. So, Bob so Turner, you know, so we, we, we met them all. I think it's fair to say that you're you're very much in demand, uh, but I, I guess I want to get an idea of what, you know, aside from just, okay, getting to know you, so it's kind of a placeholder, right? The candidates have to come because they got to check the box, they got to do the meeting, right? Uh, is there something that the, the rabbis take back or the candidates take back afterward? Is there kind of a relationship built? Who, who maintains that relationship afterward? And, uh, you know, do you see it as being, do you see these uh, visits as being effective? I think it's being very effective because even the even the candidates who we quote unquote I won't say endorse but you know quote unquote are natural allies so to speak even when they do are defeated you know let, let's say in the last elections uh, the firm community has really come out to vote and the, the fact that the these candidates do come to us and they do come to meet with us and the 
there is that outpouring and the people come to vote, the numbers are there in the from districts. That tells the politicians two things. That tells them, number one, that the Rabbanim are getting the message across to the Balabatim that you've got to go out to vote. And number two, the message is getting out to the Balabatim what the opinions are and what the views are of, the, of, of each, each individual candidate. So I think those two messages of you know, what their views are and, more importantly, getting out to vote, I think that's getting through as a result of these candidates coming to visit our Rabbanim because they see that people are going to the polls, people are pulling that lever or hitting the box or whatever they're doing. I don't know where they are. Did they change or not change? But the, uh, the, the people are there, the polling is there, the numbers are there, and as a result, that ultimately is what makes, makes a difference in a candidate's mind. Uh, as you know, you don't need, I don't need to tell you this, but just for our listeners, and my dear friend Rabbi Chil Kalish has told to me for years and told everybody that it's not necessarily who you vote for, but that it's you come out to vote. And when these... When these fellows come, men, women, candidates come, and they see that it gets worn out in the numbers of people coming out to the polls, that makes all the difference in the world. Absolutely. And I think you referred to Rabbi Yechiel Kalish of Agudath Israel. He's been a guest on the show. And uh, we're hopefully going to have him back uh, in the coming weeks, uh, talk you know a little bit more about this issue. And I, I couldn't agree more. It's actually exactly whether you do vote or not. Uh, every politician knows who voted because that's a matter of public record. We don't necessarily know who people voted for individually. We can see in general what the results are, but you don't know. But certainly the fact that where there's heavy turnout, those areas certainly get uh, catered to. Uh, but let me let me ask you a question just to back up for a second with regard to endorsements. And you mentioned the 501c3, and you mentioned you know all the things that the rabbis are very careful about. Mm-hmm. There's all kinds of guidance with regard to politics and the like with for, for rabbis not to, to, be, to be cautioned. Uh, from the pulpit, but you know, in the African American community, you have pastors getting up all the time and making endorsements. And uh, you know, in Queens, you have one of the most important uh, pastors in the whole city, Reverend Flake, uh, f- former Congressman Floyd Flake, uh, making endorsements, and he's a big kingmaker. Why aren't there rabbis like that who want to who go ahead and you know make big endorsements? And uh, if if it's good for churches, why is that not good for synagogues? Well, I, mean, I think the answer is, is, I think it's a good question, but I think the answer is obvious, and, and it's really twofold. I think number one is that Bar Hashem, Arabanim uh, are, you know, they're real shepherds, and they have a lot to do. They're very busy. Some of them are holding two jobs. You know, the traditional rub, the traditional full-time rub is, is not really in existence anymore. Uh, the shuls don't have the membership and, 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 the, and, the, and the cash flow and, and, and the resources like they used to. And I think Rabbanim are not as focused on trying to be kingmakers. They're busy, they're busy tending, the, tending the flock and, and supporting their families. It's just getting harder. And the second, more important, I think, is that it's our job, and this is really the answer to our, to our call, Steve, is that it's our job to make a Kiddush Hashem. And I think, you know, <laughs> our job is not to, not to pursue publicity or pursue being a kingmaker or a haymaker or whatever it may be. Our job is to be Mikadosh Yishamayim Barabim and and to lead the lead the Balabatim, lead the Am, and I don't think our Rabbanim really have that burning desire in their in their bellies to to go out and make names for themselves and become haymakers. And I, and I think really, you know, we, we're we're scrutinized. We see what's going on in Eretz Yisrael that the from community is always scrutinized under a microscope, and really Israel is scrutinized under a microscope. And we try to be Mikadosh Yishamayim and do the right thing, and and try to get what's coming to our our community and not what we don't deserve, just the things that, that really we do deserve that we haven't been getting. But wouldn't we be able to deliver more if there were, if, 
if politicians could kind of court the rabbis even a little bit more? I mean, who who is it they court, right? Out there, there are people, they sign letters and, and, and this, and there are certain askanim out there who make endorsements. But, you know, the, the interesting thing is that the uh, Orthodox community, I'm saying the non-Hasidic Orthodox community, because it actually even over the last couple of weeks, you've seen a number of... Uh, uh, endorsements. Uh, endorsements from Hasidic leaders, uh, mm-hmm. although particularly for a particular candidates. So, uh, meaning uh, Eric Salgado seems to be racking up some endorsements, interestingly enough. Um, but uh, and he, you know he's not really much of a blip on the uh, in the polls. But uh, you want to leave it only to to uh, you're leaving the field kind of clear to other people. Uh, who are going to go ahead and support certain candidates. Can you view certain people's support of candidates as a proxy for certain rabbis? That's a good question. Um, I, I guess he could. You know, I, you know, I guess he could. I think it's, I think more importantly, the, the, the you know, the, the, the blocks that are available to those Hasidic courts and to maybe the African-American churches and, and that type of thing is not available to your average Orthodox Rav. And I think that plays a big role in, in these type of endorsements. And like I said before, I just think it's not in the community's best interest to go out on that limb. Very, very interesting. And uh, again, uh, 212-529-4620, 212 We're speaking to Rabbi Chaim Schwartz uh, here of the Vod of Queens. Uh, actually, very interesting conversation uh, with regard to rabbis and politics and politics and religion and and, and the like, and uh, whether rabbis should stay out of politics, uh, maybe, maybe they shouldn't. Um, and well, I, I, will, I will tell you that quite often we get, you know, I've gotten I've gotten questions from our membership in Balabatim. You know, why is it in the interest of the VOD to to have to to to, to host these candidates and to bring them into our, our our meetings? And to that I say, and we we tell them all the time, is that you know it's it's important to be engaged. The, the front community has to be engaged. The front community has to stand up for its its rights. You know what, what, what the what the Constitution and what each state says we're, we're entitled to, and I think if we, you know, for those of us who are a little bit involved in politics, going on, you know, if you just look at what's on the books, uh, there's a lot to be done in, um, in 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 the from community. I mean, take take a take a look at David Greenfield. I mean, I remember uh, when he was cutting his teeth. Uh, him and I were at the 2004 Republican National Convention. I was working for our good as you saw. Wait, wait, David England. Greenfield was at the Republican National oh. Convention as a Democrat. Okay. Uh, Greenfield was actually there working for. I think he was working for the Spartac Congress. I, yes, yes, I, I was uh, kidding, but yes, I think sir. it's you know, a good was... highlight there. <laughs> and uh, we were cutting our teeth at the time, and uh, you know, he went on to start Teach NYS and, and the lobby. And, and I don't think there's anything, you know, anything, any chedushim about what they what they got, just getting what, what's entitled to them. And I think that. Hello. Whoever, if you just uh, mute your phone, I guess you get a little bit of uh, feedback there. If you're on the line, uh, actually, oh, we have two callers on the line. Uh, so, uh, okay, I'll introduce them both. We have Yitzi Halpern on the line, as well as uh, Yochanan Bodner on the line. Right. Uh, two uh, two uh, young activists from uh, from my neck of the woods. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us here, uh, Yitzi. How are you, Michael? Congratulations. Uh, thank you, Yitzi. Thank you. So, y- Yitzi- I actually jumped off the treadmill to make this call. So excuse me if I'm out of breath a little bit. Uh, well, good. Well, look, it's always good to be running somewhere. So. Uh, you know, we're, t- we're talking uh, religion and politics here, and, uh, you know, nowhere do they marry together quite as much as uh, where we live in Farakway Lawrence uh, community. 
So, yeah, I don't know uh, much about either one of those, so I'm, I'm happy to listen. You don't know much about religion or politics? Well, Yitzi, you know, you're, you're, you're involved with some rabbis. Give us, give us an idea about what, what happens out there, um, you know, whether, whether rabbis should mix in or shouldn't, or shouldn't mix in when it comes to political stuff. Oh, that's a good question. Um, a little bit that, that I see, uh, I think if Rabbi take responsibility for, for a community, which that's probably what the definition of a leader is, so um, it's responsible and um, for them to take into account the politics that, that, that pertains to the community, especially on a local level. And um, I guess if the best interests of their congregants are, you know, is most important to them, so then uh, every one of those interests are important. And getting our fair share of what's coming to us, you know, as far as services from the government and our Yiddish type being recognized and respected, so it's, I would assume that that's uh, a big part of the Rav's job. Uh, Yochanan Bodner is uh, is not just an activist locally, but also with with the Aguda. I think you're uh, part of the young leadership, Yochanan, correct? Yes. How are you? How's everything? Great, great. Yochanan actually was just, uh, I have to give him a, a little plug. Yitzi and Yochanan were both very active in my own campaign over the last week. So thank you guys, both of you, very much uh, for, for getting involved and helping uh, helping us achieve a great victory. Uh, our, but, our pleasure. And, and thank you, Michael, for everything that you've done. Congratulations to you and a well-deserved win. Thank you. And a, and a big win as well. Thank you. Thank you, guys. So uh, just, you know, Yochanan, you're a good activist. You're a political activist. You know, tell us, uh, you know, as far as rabbis and politics, you know, out there, what, what, you know, should the, should the rabbis play a more active role? Uh, It's a good question. Um, I uh, think the the rabbis should play an active role as far as uh, getting people involved, making sure people who had a vote, the previous, uh, uh, guy you interviewed did mention that uh, communities that vote are communities that are heard. I, I was recently at a, uh, a good meeting at their headquarters just a few weeks ago, and Oscar uh, Bennett, who uh, you know very well, uh, urged guys to get involved, young guys to get involved, um, leaders, um, politicians that see uh, groups of people that are interested and uh, in, in what they have to say are, are there for them. But uh, I don't think it's really the rabbi's responsibilities to get involved. I remember uh, yeah, Gooda used to uh, give awards out to politicians uh, at some of their dinners and events. And I think it was just a few weeks after the uh, Gooda dinner a couple of years ago that uh, Anthony Weiner's scandal came out. So it's difficult sometimes to endorse certain rabbi, uh, politicians uh, because, as we all know, their philosophies and views in general don't always align with, with those of, a, uh, of many of the rabbinim. Interesting. But, uh, Rabbi Schwartz, actually, on that on that question, just to throw it back at you, yeah. uh, Anthony Weiner would be welcome uh, at the Queen's Vod? No, that's a great question. And, you know, Anthony, we had a very good relationship with him. And, you know, at, at the expense of, you know, biting my tongue or doing something and saying something that I shouldn't, it's a very tough question. It's all right. Question. It's just us I here. Think, it's just you know, us. There is, there is an idea that, you know, it is what it is. And if the people in New York... You know, I think Rabbanim and I think communities have to be pragmatic, and I think they have to understand where the tide is going. And I think it's it's bared, it's bared out in the candidates that we have right now. I don't think any of the Democratic candidates that we have right now are, are at, at all in our best interest, uh, talking about uh, spiritually, uh, religiously, halakhically. I don't think they, they represent us. I don't think they're our, you know, people that we could say that we're, we're friends with them when it comes to hashkafa and philosophy. Um, but on the other hand, I think that, uh, you know, if, if there's anything that we learn from the Gemara and we learn, learn from Yaakov Avinu, is that we have to be pragmatic and we have to see where the winds are going, like every other community does. And for us to put our heads in the sand and say, 
well, no, you know, this this one is this, that, or the other thing is detrimental, and it's not it's not positive. So, Can I add something to that, Michael? A- absolutely. I was just going to yeah, throw it you know, to you. I'm, I hope this is okay to stay on your show, but if not, I hope you have a 10-second delay. Um, as far as Anthony Weiner's, um, re- I guess, religious failings, I, I do think it's our business to, to look at, at the moral standings of these people and maybe sit this one out, but that, I don't have much of an opinion on that. But I think we should take a closer look at Hishmer and Schmigger and see what they support and what kind of Muslim groups they're involved in. And we should think twice before we throw our support behind the man who married uh, a woman whose mother is a, is, a, is a huge fundraiser, and I've read on this, for um, extremist Muslim organizations. I wanted to say one other thing, if you don't mind, about, about the Rabbanim and to add what the Yochanan said, and it was great what you said, Yochanan, but I think that the role of Rabbanim in election, they're not allowed to stand behind a candidate. That's correct, right? Correct. Well, but we're, we're, we're debating that. We were debating that issue. What's that? We were debating that issue. I'm not sure it's a thousand percent that they can't stand behind a candidate. Okay. They, they just we, don't. We, we were always under the assumption that they couldn't, and, and at least the, the shuls and yeshivas that I'm involved with. Oh, correct. The shul, involved, the, shul, the, shul, the shul and the yeshiva cannot. Absolutely. That, that is, abs- that is okay. definitely. Let me, let me just add one thing. that it's not, it, it is not illegal for a rough to put on his own stationery an endorsement for a particular candidate. That is correct. Okay. So, so if they could do that even better. But what I did want to say was that that what they used to be able to do is express the importance of going out to vote. And it was always very obvious that the firm community should support their local candidates. But when we have what we've had on the five towns in the last two elections, where from people go up against incumbents in the firm community, that's somewhere the Rabbanim could stand up without endorsing any candidate. In their shoes, they could stand up and say, in our community, we have one voice. And the Rabbanim could be part of that decision process of who is the voice that's going to represent us. And then the community could throw their support behind one candidate and instead of, God forbid, ever again having a community that's split, neighbors against neighbors, who are you going for and who I'm going for. Now, we know it's only politics and we can do it respectfully, and we do. But we still should be together in, 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 that, in those decisions. We shouldn't even be divided in that. Okay. Well, that's, that's my opinion. That, that, that's that, a good point. I, I echo that. Okay, we have another caller on uh, to bring another voice to Terry. I'm yeah. going to jump back on the channel, Michael. Lots of atzlach. I'm looking forward to another couple of years with you. Very good. Thank you. We have about one minute left. Ellie is on the line. Ellie, what's your question? Uh, Comment. No question, really. I just wanted to congratulate you on winning. You ran a fantastic campaign, and uh, it was clean, and it was, uh, it was uh, something that uh, you should be proud of. Well, thank you. And, uh, yeah, Ellie, I assume you're talking about the Lawrence race. What do you think of the last comment that was made? With regard to to the rabbis taking a stand on uh, on political issues, I'm, I'm not sure. I, I'm in love with the idea of the rabbis selecting candidates. Um, okay, so you're not you're not into the Lakewood model. I'm not into the Lakewood model. No, not <laughs> at, least, at least not for that. For so many other things, I am. <laughs> okay, very good, very good. Uh, just a closing statement from Rabbi Schwartz as far as the Lakewood model. Uh, did we lose Rabbi Schwartz? No, I'm right here. I'm right here. Okay, Rabbi Schwartz, the Lakewood model where they have a vod that goes ahead and. Hello? Uh, yeah, somebody's calling, guys. We're calling out. Okay, we're almost out of time. The liquid model where they have a VOD that goes ahead and selects the candidates. Uh, Please know. hang up. There appears to be a receiver off the there? hook. Please check your main telephone extension and then try your call again. Thank oh. you. This is a recording. Okay, that's a first for spin class. We haven't had that that, that person on the line yet. <laughs> yeah, he's an old friend, actually. The Lakewood model. Well, the Lakewood model is, is, I guess it works for Lakewood, and it's something that they've, they've, they've tried and true and tested, and it seems to be, seems to be working over there. I, I can't talk. I'm not there. I'm here in Queens. You know, we're a little 
shtetl here in the Jewish community, and we're trying to become more relevant and to do good for our constituents. and Okay, our... Verbi Schwartz, we're out of time. Oh, Chaim Schwartz from the Queen's Vod. Thank you very much for joining us, talking Good about rabbis and politics. Yeah, this is another episode of Spin Class in the Bag. We'll be back next Thursday night. Stay tuned for the Nachum Siegel Show here on the Thursday Night Extravaganza. NachumSiegel.com, jmandam.org.